This is Ontolog Scheduled Discussion Session, October 20th, 2005. And today we are discussing on the topic Semantic Web Service Ontology Standards. And we're lucky to have uh, Nicholas Roquette from Jet, the Jet Propulsion Lab uh, of NASA uh, being our moderator today. So it's all yours, Nicholas. All right, so as Peter mentioned, uh, I'm from uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, um, where we work for NASA. Oh, shall we maybe go around and oh, have sorry. everyone introduce themselves first? Yes. Um, so John Domingue should be next. Hi, so um, I'm John Domingue from the Knowledge Media Institute at the Open University. I'm the scientific director of a large EU project on semantic web services called DIP, and I'm the chair of the WISMO working group. That's all I want to say for the moment. David? Oh, yes. Hi. David Martin. I'm uh, in the Artificial Intelligence Center at SRI International, and my, uh, my relevant affiliations are um, uh, involvement with the OWLS Coalition uh, in, a, in a role of, uh, I guess, uh, acting chair, and also uh, one of the co-chairs of the Swizzle Committee, Semantic Web Services Language Committee, uh, which uh, I guess I don't need to say any more at this point about that. So that's all. Bob? Bob Smith, Tall Tree Labs, Southern California, and I'm uh, part of the uh, B. Smith Evil Duel. Mike? Uh, Michael Gruninger, uh, now at the University of Toronto for the past five years, uh, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, uh, and I've been uh, quite active in the uh, Semantic Web Services uh, Framework um, Initiative uh, for the past uh, three years. Hi, uh, Michael Maximilian, or Max. Uh, I'm with the IBM Almaden Research Center and the IBM Almaden Services Research Group. Okay, Peter Yim uh, from CIM3 and the co-convener of the Ontolog Forum along with Kurt Conrad and Leo Oberst. Roy? Yes, I'm Roy Robuck. I'm with a little company called ComIT, and uh, I'm essentially using ontological approaches for doing enterprise architecture and enterprise management applications. Mark. Uh, yeah, this is Mark Greaves. Uh, up until June, I was the program manager of the DAML program for DARPA that funded a lot of the uh, OWL-based work, which you'll hear about here. Um, I'm currently with a small company in Seattle uh, called Vulcan, which is uh, essentially the investment arm of uh, Mr. Paul Allen, who's the co-founder of Microsoft. Doug? Doug. Oh, <clears throat> this is Doug Engelbart <clears throat> of the Bootstrap Alliance, and I'm just here to learn. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, we are really honored to have you here, Doug. Well, you better behave then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is James Duma from uh, Vancouver, Canada, eBusiness Applications. Um, we do uh, some projects in in uh, OWL and Semantic Web uh, for enterprise applications. Um, Sheila McElroy from the University of Toronto, formerly from KSL Stanford. Uh, I was um, I've been involved in DAML S and later OWL S since its inception, and have also been very active in in the development of, of uh, 
disclose uh, under the auspices of the Semantic Web Services Framework. Thank you. Uh, Kurt. Uh, thanks. Um, I'm an independent consultant here in the Bay Area. tend to focus in the area of information policy and governance. And uh, one of my keen interests is actually the area of ontology management. Michael Ushel. Hi, this is Mike Ushel. I work for the Boeing Company. Um, been active in building and using ontologies for quite a long time. And my specific interest at the minute is to see how and where web services could be used in a big company like Boeing. Semantic web services, that is. Amit? Uh, Amit Sheth at Last Scale Distributed Information Systems Lab at University of Georgia. Uh, in 2003, conceived of Visual S and uh, it's progressed uh, as we will discuss today. Uh, also participated a little in the SWSA and uh, am participating in WISMIC related uh, effort with OSS. So, uh, and, and we have uh, uh, good size projects just like WISMO uh, called Meteor S under which we develop a uh, system also. And with me is Kunal Verma. Uh, who is doing uh, his research in, in the project, Meteorist project. So, uh, the other David. Hi, David Martin from IBM Almaden. Uh, my background is primarily in machine learning and business intelligence, and my interest is in the applications of the ontologies, the semantic web, condition retrieval, and analysis purposes in the healthcare and life domain. I work with Dennis Kwan at the uh, IBM Research Center in Cambridge, who did the biohistack work, and I did additional work uh, back in the early 90s on uh, applications of extensions to the mosaic system for uh, additional ontologically based uh, object display. Thank you, David. Sachin? Sachin. Hi, Hi. my name is Sachin Singul. I'm from North of Germany. Electronic systems, and I'm interested in finding out how um, ontologies and semantic web services could be uh, used in, in a large company like this. Monica. Monica Martin, Sun Microsystems. Thank you. That's all. Uh, Apple. Hi, Pepe Valetto with uh, IBM Research in New York. Um, I work in autonomic computer computing and um, particularly I'm interested in um, exploring the intersection between semantic web service technologies and workflow technologies and autonomic computing. Uh, John, did, did you mentioned you had several people uh, with you. you, you want them to introduce themselves, or you might want to introduce them? They're all shaking their heads here. I think they're, they're, they're relatively shy. Oh. But it's briefly, it's um, Liliana Cabral, uh, Barry Norton, Stefania Galicia, and um, Alessio Guglia, who are researchers of mine. So all, all from the KMI? Yeah, they're all from my lab, yeah. And they're all doing work on um, semantic web services um, using Wismo. Some are doing applications, some are doing core research. So everything I talk about, I didn't do anything. It was all the work of these people with me. But they don't get any of the credit. Okay. Uh, did we miss anybody who's online and, and we did not uh, have a chance to uh, mention your name? Hi, this is Pat Cassidy. I'm from MITRE Corporation working on ontologies here. 
Hi, Peter. Uh, hi, Pat. Anybody else? Hello, maybe me. It's uh, Leticia Gutierrez. I work for Essex County Council in England. We are a partner of uh, the government partner of Deep uh, Project, and I work as an ontology engineer here. Back to you, Nicholas. Hi, thank you, Peter. Well, I'm uh, really glad to have. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, thank you. I'm really glad that at least we've achieved uh, one of the original goals of um, bringing together people who are involved on the standards for semantic web services as well as people interested in applying them or involved in developing applications based on semantic web services. On slide two, um, I found uh, a few pictures from a paper by um, Iron Horrocks, um, uh, Bijan Parja, uh, and a few others um, that was published recently about um, the Tim Berners-Lee's uh, semantic web stack. And um, it, it, I found it helpful to put into context perhaps part of the, the reason why we have been discussing having a uh, scheduled discussion on Ontolog Forum on web, semantic web services. So on slide number two, I was mentioning that um, in um, Horak's paper published uh, this year recently, there's a discussion about um, um, the semantic web stack that in that Tim Berners-Lee described in about, two, in about 2003. And based on the success of uh, ontologies, there was a revision that was presented in 2005, earlier, where it includes all and, um, and rules. And um, then Horrocks um, and uh, Persia and, um, and, and a few others looked into um, this new stack and found some issues and described um, some problems and that there are really two different kinds of stacks, perhaps, and uh, proposed a way of uh, combining both of them um, on, on the upper right corner where DLP is somewhere between RDF schema and, and OWL. And for practitioners, then, the question is, which stack should we you know, build on top of? And in the sense that uh, if we're expecting to deploy an application, say, for example, in the 2003 version of the stack, well, we have some kind of ontology which is support which is different from, say, the stack on, on the right. And same goes with, for example, DLP or NAF and, and whatnot. And the question also uh, becomes, uh, will this stack be stable enough as a foundation for building infrastructure for semantic web services? So moving on to slide number three, on a practical side, what what does it mean to to use the semantic web services? If you believe, for example, in the practical programmer Bible from Hunt and Thomas, I, guess, I mean Bible in the sense that a lot of people who um, believe in uh, practical programming uh, find a lot of the material relevant um, in that book for especially for software development purposes. And on chapter five, there's one um, uh, piece of advice that they provide about the brain break rule, in the sense that to be to have agility in developing applications in, in software, especially, accommodating change requires two things: the flexibility of uh, combining various pieces uh, that have been done instead of rewriting them. So there's some notion of reusability. That also requires some robustness in order to, for these pieces to be still be relevant 
when things have actually changed. There's also the notion of reversibility in the sense that if we've made certain decisions in the past, like for example an ontological commitment about classifying certain concepts under one category and later need to change, for example, that categorization under a different kind of ontological commitment, we need to be able to reverse those changes quickly and in a sense replay forward what's going to happen next and see what, uh, what still works and what needs fixing. The recommendation they make is to decouple uh, in the context of software, the data model about more or less what or what is the information in the software. And in this context, you might say it's more or less the ontology that we use to describe what a web service is, uh, and that's where we get our semantics, from the views on that model in the sense of, well, for matching web services or for advertising them or negotiating quality of service or and whatnot, we need different representations or descriptions of these services or exchange different information. And being able to decouple these two things is important and is also reflected, in, for example, in, uh, in ALS, where you see different profiles for describing um, services, the, the ground service model, for example, or, or two different uh, views on, on conceptually uh, the web service. And so in the sense then, we can ask now, are semantic web services pragmatically sensible in that do we have enough um, of these elites in, in the semantic web stack such that um, we can be practical about how we deploy them with respect to being efficient uh, in the case that uh, standards evolve and they will be evolved and they will change uh, you know, slightly or, or in some cases significantly and we need to make sure that it's not going to cause us a lot of expensive rework uh, when that happens and as well as what are the risks in terms of um, the semantic web service technology in some sense being considered a bleeding edge um, technology that perhaps might be wiser to wait for, for a while. Let's move on to slide three. The, the reasons why I believe um, slide four, I guess. I'm sorry for yes. why it, it's not wise to, to kind of listen to the, to the conservative view of uh, say um, um, waiting until the technology matures and, um, and, and milestones are, are available or, or our competitors have done it or so on or that there's already been a lot of achievements made that are really impressive and, and, and are no longer uh, wise to ignore. Um, next month there will be the Semantic Web Conference where I'm sure you'll find many success stories like in bioinformatics and medicine. I won't dwell on that. But from a more practical point of view, if somebody wanted to start you know, cold on Semantic Web Services, um, well, the first question might be, okay, which, if you will, um, semantic web stack should I should I pick? Um, the the one that splits, say, NAF and uh, DLP from ontologies, or the one that Horrocks um, uh, and others are, are recommending, uh, uh, where there's a slight modification on um, on on RDF semantics and and DLP is uh, somewhere between RDF schema and all and things like this. And once we've picked that stack, then, well, we need some kind of infrastructure because obviously we're talking about distributed form of computing, uh, running services, advertising <coughs> them, conducting them.
and there's already a lot of work that has been done, um, not necessarily in the context of web services or the semantic web um, or semantic web services, but for various reasons that in the end converge ultimately towards, uh, in my view, uh, semantic web services. And once we've got now the stack, some infrastructure, then, well, what tools do we use? And there it depends on more or less whether we're going to use, say, LS as a practical um, um, platform on top of which we build applications, or, or Wismo, or Wismo-S, or, you know, SWSS. And there we'll have the, the panelists describe uh, these different technologies and, um, and, and, and standards and from the point of view of what they are and how practical they might be. Now, I didn't mention exactly much about my background and uh, the connection to, to me or, or JPL and, and NASA in, in some sense is that uh, you, you can think of space missions as, as having incredibly complicated architectures because we have all kinds of distribution issues uh, across space, time, organization, objectives. And, uh, and without the web, you could say that uh, this might look like a semantic service in the sense that currently none of these applications or services are on the web or web-enabled. I mean, some of them are, but typically they were developed before the web. And so putting a semantic web service um, kind of view on top of this uh, um, it is some question that um, I've been puzzled about in, in, in the last year and um, and kind of led me to get more interested into this semantic web service discussion. Slide five now, right? Right. Now, let's move on to slide number six. From, say, JPL or NASA, and, and perhaps uh, I mentioned that somebody mentioned about Northrop Grumman um, and, and Boeing, uh, there's also a... a in a prevalent view about um, complex architectures you know, from the point of view of, uh, for example, in what IEEE 1471 um, um, describes as a, a conceptual framework for describing architectures. And um, in, in that conceptual framework, it's, it's only a recommendation, but it talks about systems that have an architecture um, in some conceptual sense that is described uh, uh, in terms of multiple descriptions built according to different concerns that really are represented by some notion of viewpoint um, or in view uh, used to organize these descriptions. And they are lead to or enable us to then manipulate these architectural descriptions in terms of models. And the, um, while IEEE 1471 is only a conceptual framework and it's a recommendation only, um, the RMODP standard uh, formalizes this context more deeply and uh, there's a URL there for the latest version of uh, the draft of the RMODP if you're interested later on. And on slide number seven, um, this is a, a brief glimpse about how, for example, these notions of viewpoints uh, from 1471 and our ODP are relevant to, to organizations like JPL and NASA where there are different kinds of, if you will, views or, or viewpoints where people think about, well, have, have different concerns and, and these are reflected in, in, for example, the organization of companies like JPL or, or NASA or, or even 
uh, we also find similar view or viewpoints reflected in, uh, in, in the European Space Agency or, uh, for example, uh, in, in Japan as well, um, in, in, in the Space Agency over there. If you move on to slide number eight, um, I found this um, next slide that kind of summarizes in the context of, um, of, of the discussion what um, ODP or RMODP is. RMODP is just a reference model for ODP. ODP stands for Open Distributed uh, Processing. And um, uh, the, the, the main concepts there in specifying an, an ODP system uh, from, this, uh, from, from this culture, if you will, from this um, domain, involves um, an enterprise view about um, some context and some processes. And, and there you can get a little glimpse there about um, you know, some services or some roles that uh, various uh, agents in an enterprise might have. And there's also an information model, which um, might perhaps reflect more about, if you will, the service grounding model in, uh, in say, in LS. Um, there is a, a computational description about exactly what kind of uh, configuration interaction between this object occurs. Although this computational description is, is not meant in the sense of an algorithm or some uh, programming language, it's a, it, if you will, it's a conceptual computational view description. The, the, when it gets more technical in terms of um, specifying, uh, for example, uh, standards uh, for uh, interoperation or service and, and whatnot, uh, then we get into the engineering viewpoint where, for example, something like, say, all S, or, for example, Wizzle S might be considered to be engineering choices for implementing the computational framework uh, above. And then uh, you have technology below, where you might, for example, pick on, say, uh, the all uh, S library from um, the MindSwap, uh, or, 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 for example, the WSDL implementation from uh, Amit's group at the uh, University of Georgia, uh, or somebody else's implementation, say, of LS, uh, for example. In slide number nine, um, I kind of summarized more or less why I brought together uh, these notions of architecture, web services, and semantics. Um, and last week, there was a, a really insightful discussion or presentation by Barry Smith about document ontology, about um, just what kind of thing is a document. And there's a few uh, examples there of, of things that uh, um, Barry has identified is missing from existing uh, document ontologies, things like um, uh, the distinction between the document as a standalone entity versus something that is a, a compound uh, of some kind and social interactions. And there are many relationships to web services, open distributed processing, ontological development, for example, like uh, OntoClean's middle property, you know, uh, are, are very close to the kind of uh, concerns that Barry was talking about. And in, in my view, I think some understanding of uh, the standards uh, and the different technologies uh, choices are available for practitioners to use semantic web services um, is, can be a, a dizzying um, uh, set of, um, of, of ideas, uh, technology choices, concepts that that is uh, difficult to to get a to get a grasp of and, and to uh, to figure out how we can use to apply. And distinguishing the 
the scientific motivation for studying, for example, philosophy like Barry Smith does, versus how do I use um, uh, semantic web services in a way where I make some informed choices about exactly what technology I'm going to pick, what standards I'm going to build on top of, is the, is the really core issue, I believe, uh, in, in this context. And, um, and so on slide number 10, you have now a, uh, a kind of a brief you know, overview about uh, the, the different um, um, topics that w were discussed prior to this discussion about uh, uh, practical approaches and, and various kinds of differences amongst uh, uh, four of the, I think, m the most visible um, efforts uh, in the semantic web arena that uh, uh, are available at this time. And so, without further delay, then I'll let the panelists uh, present their own descriptions about OS, uh, Wismo, WSMOS, and SWSF on, on slide 11, where each um, panelist will have about a 20-minute period to make a presentation about um, the, these topics and, uh, and some, some discussion. And Peter mentioned that on the um, uh, discussion web page, there is a link uh, somewhere below the uh, um, below the moderator section where you downloaded the slides on the question and answer discourse, where there's this experimental um, uh, bullet there, and the link below about webconf, blah, 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 where uh, if you have questions, uh, you can uh, log in there and then um, use the, um, the hand sign on the lower uh, right corner of the of the pane that will open there, such that we perhaps can uh, uh, gather questions and um, and and, uh, and and go through this efficiently in a timely manner. And without further ado, I'll let, let uh, David Martin um, go on with the LS. Um, hi, this is David. Uh, I assume we're, we've given up on the V and C, so I don't have to worry about people trying to follow my slides. Yeah, it's working again. actually active now. Yep. Uh, yep. But, oh. but uh, I'll advance the slide, just call them out, uh, and I'll make the advance. Okay. But nobody's actually seeing my screen, is that correct? I can see it. If oh. you're on VNC, you should be seeing your screen. Uh, you, you should be okay. seeing your covering slide. Right. Okay, now. good. So then I will make it fill the whole screen. I assume it looks okay then. So. Uh, thanks for the introduction, and uh, thanks for um, setting this up. This is actually very uh, invigorating, I think, for, probably for all of us who are working in this area to have this kind of uh, cross-fertilization discussion. So anyway, I will move right along here. Let me check my watch. Okay, I'm going to try to make this quick uh, whirlwind tour in about 10 minutes' time. So I'm now moving to slide number one. Uh, what is OLS? So very briefly, OLS is um, Ontology Web Language for Services. Uh, the emphasis here is that uh, OLS is, by and large, just an ontology uh, expressed in the OWL language. Uh, it's under development since uh, early 2001. I think it's uh, fair to say that OLS is uh, the pioneering effort in the, in the realm of semantic web services, and it's uh, Probably fair to say it's the most mature effort. Um, it's um, moving on down the page. It's um, again an ontology for 
formally describing properties and capabilities of web services. And um, there's also a large body of work uh, around the core ontology, which in some sense is not not officially part of ALS, but it certainly is part is uh, part of the picture because um, there's a lot of work that can be reused, a lot of open source tools and components that can be drawn upon. And some of it has been done by ALICE Coalition members, and a lot of it has been done by non-members. And it's very, uh, very exciting, in fact, to see the amount of work that has been uh, stimulated by this. It's an approach that draws on many uh, background sources of technology, which, of course, go back you know, two, three decades in some cases. And I'm sure that can be said of all of the approaches that we'll be talking about today. And it's also an approach that has some fairly clear uh, paths to work alongside of the, the more or less standard web services technology, such as WSDL and UDDI. OK, I'm moving down to page two. This is a partial list of folks who have worked on ALS. Uh, I think the only point to make here is that ALS has been developed by a loose coalition of interested researchers, um, not, not controlled by any one organization. Uh, the majority of the researchers have, have been funded by the DARPA's uh, DAML program, but certainly not all of them. And the, the ALICE Coalition uh, does continue its efforts. Uh, uh, and I'll say a few words about what we're still doing at the end. So moving to slide number three, um, high-level objectives. I'm sure these are by and large shared by all of the presenters today. I think it's fair, to, in my mind at least, the primary focus of semantic web services is leading towards a framework and language and capabilities that enable automation, not necessarily full automation, not necessarily uh, you know, the, the uh, 20 or 30 years out vision, but uh, various degrees of automation and, and various more, more powerful types of tools that can do more for you. Uh, in contrast to the current picture, where, which I think is fair to say, uh, you know, if you're working with SOAP and WSDL and the current widely available building blocks, that it's a very labor-intensive process. And there has to be a lot of uh, humans in the loop at various points in the process. Anyway, uh, moving on down page three, of course, we're interested in able formal reasoning and planning about services. Uh, we're also interested in providing a comprehensive framework supporting the entire life cycle of what you might call service management tasks uh, so that you're not dealing with you know, this patchwork quilt of standards developed independently, which you focus on different pieces of the puzzle. But ideally, I'm sure all the other presenters will also say this, that we're aiming towards a, a single framework that you can reason. You can do a variety of reasoning tasks having to do with discovery, selection, composition, invocation, monitoring, and on and on. There's a lot of different activities in the long run that you want to support with this kind of reasoning. Certainly uh, aiming towards integrated use with information resources, ease of use, various, you know, these are just the uh, motherhood and apple pie kinds of things, powerful tools. and. Um, I added in red. I, the, the last bullet is red simply because it's not on the, the downloadable slides. Uh, now we've made a real serious effort to build both on the mainstream semantic web directions and also the mainstream web services directions. So I'll say a few words about how that works. OK, moving to slide number four. <coughs> um, 
the point here is just uh, the point here is building on the semantic web stack in particular, building on OWL, which of course in turn builds on RDFS and RDF XML. Uh, also building on Swirl, the uh, rules language, or one rules language, uh, but we're not uh, we're not so tightly coupled to Swirl. In, in fact, there's a variety of options you can use. Uh, for expressing preconditions and effects of services, and Swirl is just one of those options, and I'll come back to that also. Okay, so moving to slide number five. Um, uh, now we're looking at the ontology itself, uh, the top-level bubbles, if you will. Of course, there's a, there's a class, the ovals represent classes. There's a class called service, and there's classes called service profile, service grounding, and service model. And in a nutshell, the service profile tells what the service does, the service model tells some things about how it works, and the service grounding tells how to access it. And I'm going to move along quickly and say a few words about each of these. Um, so I'm on slide six now. Service profile, again, uh, what does the service do? This is conceived as being used for advertising purposes uh, in registries such as uh, in a UDDI registry, for example, and for matchmaking purposes. Um, so again, um, well, I guess the only other point here on, on uh, slide six is that it's up in such a way that you can express both advertisements and requests in terms of the um, profile class and its related properties and classes. So moving on to slide number seven. This is a partial illustration of some of the classes and properties in the profile uh, subontology. Uh, actually, let me let me jump ahead to slide eight for a moment, and then I'll come back to slide seven. Uh, on slide eight, I just want to make the point that um, the profile uh, has been used in two broad styles. Uh, one is the class hierarchical yellow pages, which I think is the most Natural, obvious way of using OWL. You can you can uh, domain specialize uh, the profile class for various purposes. I mean, you might have a subclass of profile for you know vending services, or another subclass for um, I don't know window washing services, what what have you. Um, and um, and I'll say, uh, well, I don't have time to show examples, but again, the, what you can do here is. As you go down this class hierarchy, you can add properties that are relevant for each domain. And um, you can, of course, take advantage of all the the, ASP, the description logic foundations of, of OWL in a very natural way. Uh, the other broad style of use is uh, the profile has been used a lot as, pro as, uh, as a source of a, as a process summary for planning purposes, where you're interested primarily in uh, inputs, outputs, preconditions, and effects of various services. Uh, so in this case, then typically there's been less reliance on the formal aspects of the of the class hierarchy. Let me jump back to slide seven for a moment. Um, I know I'm going fast, but uh, hopefully we can questions can there'll be time for questions. Um, on slide seven, I guess I just wanted to point out on the far left again we have information about inputs, outputs. Um, preconditions and effects, actually the, instead of condition, I should say precondition. And uh, when I say effects, and I'm really referring to the bubble labeled result, because the, this class called result is where we 
express the effects of a uh, service. Then there's a, a ver various other things over on the right. There's some provenance information, such as the name and the text description and contact information associated with the service. And um, there's these um, service parameters, service category. In my mind, these are used as alternatives to the class hierarchical style. For sometimes you want to work in a more flattened approach. You don't want to rely on a class hierarchy of services. And these are mechanisms where you can uh, give information about categories of services uh, for a given profile that tie in with known taxonomies such as UNSPSC. And you can um, give other information about parameters that are relevant to services uh, such as quality of service parameters in, in particular, and cost, cost models and other things of that sort. Anyway, I'm going to jump ahead now in the interest of time. Uh, on slide uh, nine, uh, going now to in, into the discussion of the service model. On slide 10, there's a bubble overview of the process model. Uh, for present purposes, service model and process model are synonymous. Um, let me jump ahead to slide 11 for a moment, and then I'll come back. The idea of the process model, again, is uh, to, give, to describe how the how the service works. In other words, primarily from the point of view of understanding what's going to happen when you try to interact with a service. Uh, process model, has been, as I said, has been used for planning and composition uh, work. And of course, it can also, it's also needed in terms of invoking services and mediation and monitoring the execution of services. Um, and the, at the bottom of this slide, I wanted to emphasize that there is a fairly recent development is um, the availability of a surface syntax, which is a lot like a programming language, procedural programming language. Um, now let me jump back to the slide 10, where the bubble diagram is. I know I'm going to have to finish up quickly here. Um, I'll just say that you can think of this as, kind of, the way I think of it, as kind of an intermediate language for process representation, intermediate in the sense that uh, the ontology itself is not like a surface language. It's, it's like you're thinking about categories of constructs uh, in the sense that, uh, for instance, uh, after you compile a programming language, you, you compile into an intermediate representation of the, the functional elements of a program. Uh, you can also think of this as a, as a workflow. Uh, representation because in many ways it, it overlaps a lot with work on, with work in the, in workflow. So just to say a few quick things, uh, the, the the basis of the process description is inputs, outputs, preconditions, and effects or results. As I mentioned earlier, the IOPEs can also be mentioned in profiles, but in, uh, those are normally either um, identical to what you see in a process or 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 a, or a subset of what you see in a process. And you've got atomic processes, uh, which are the uh, simple uh, input-output processes that happen in one step. And then you've got composite processes, which are built up with familiar control constructs, such as sequence, split, choice, and so forth. OK, sorry, I'm going to have to race ahead here. Um, I'll skip slide 12. That's just an input illustration of a composite process. Uh, slide Moving past slide 13 now. Slide 14, service grounding is where uh, where you fill in the, the more concrete uh, implementation specific details about 
how to interact with the service, sort of at the message level, the protocol level. And um, in that, in this case, we found a very natural, to tie in with Wisdom, I'm on slide 15 now. Uh, Wisdom, in effect, filled the bill quite well. What we found we needed to do here is to set up a mapping between our atomic processes and WSDL operations and our inputs and outputs and WSDL messages. And um, that uh, that enabled us to draw on WSDL for lower level specification of protocol and, and message format and so on and so forth. Um, so, uh, boy, okay, moving past slide 16 to slide 17. I just want to emphasize um, a very wide and interesting range of applications that have been based on LS. I don't have time to talk about them, but here's a few samples on slide 17. Um, on the ALICE website, there's a lot of information available and links to publications. On slide 18, I wanted to emphasize again that there's a really uh, wide, broad range of work uh, based on LS, around architecture and components, around algorithms and tools. A lot of the tools are open source. A lot of them are available on simwebcentral.org. And there's been a lot of work on ontology extensions, and for, for instance, to cover security and policy, quality of service, and so forth. And SWIFF itself, which Michael Gruninger will be talking about, in, in many ways builds and extends from LS. So uh, slide 19, my final slide is um, summary. Um, just to reemphasize that we've tried hard to tie in uh, naturally with Wisdom and Unity. And, and there's a few things that need to be smoothed out there, but in general, I think it's fairly a fairly nice picture. Um, LS, on top of or in, in, in conjunction with Wisdom and UDI, the additional semantics can support additional uh, greater automation of, of a range of web service tasks and uh, a support of a, of a wide variety of applications. Alice is a W3 member submission as of late last year. And um, there's the current release is 1.1. It's available on the Alice website. that also corresponds to the member submission. There's a 1.2 release plan sometime in the remainder of this year. And again, there are these um, websites, uh, and there's a lot of papers uh, in workshops and conferences, and uh, more so in these three conferences than any other, I think. And in red here, I mentioned, I wanted to mention the Frameworks for Semantic Services Workshop, which was um, sponsored by the W3C in uh, June, and I don't have the, uh, well, I don't have the URL for that, but there's a lot of good material there uh, related to all of these technologies that we're discussing today. And if you want, we can talk about possible activities that might be taking place at W3C around semantic web services. So, sorry, I guess I went over, but I did my best. Thank you so much, Dave. Um, maybe we have a, maybe we could take a couple of minutes uh, for a question um, before we move on to um, the next topic. Yeah. I have a question about service composition. Is anybody doing anything with that, or is that still just early days talking about automated planning tools, putting it together? Well, there's a lot of work on that. I meant to mention that the, most, the, work, the areas where the most intensive work is taking place are around discovery and matchmaking and also composition. Um, 
most of the work, I, well, a lot of the work in any case is based on uh, classical AI planning style of approaches. I think probably the, the thing to point to there more than any other is work at, um, at the MindSwap uh, group at University of Maryland. Um, and of course there's many, there are other examples, but so in a nutshell, I think um, there's some, a lot, I think it's fair to say a lot of this work is is still researchy. It's not general enough that you just take it out and start commercializing a tool around it, but it's certainly worth looking at. And there's certainly some open source uh, pieces that you can make use of. Are there any well-developed examples uh, of, of potential uses in, a, in an enterprise context for automated composition of records? Uh, this, uh, this is Amit Shet. Uh, to, to my uh, understanding, uh, uh, unless we solve the problem of uh, matching uh, and mapping very well, uh, there isn't much uh, we can get out of uh, planning as to ordering the services. So I don't think that we there is some work published uh, on terms of in terms of matching, uh, including some academic and a little bit more practical work. Uh, but uh, even that problem needs to be solved much better before we can get to automatic compositions uh, in any practical way. Uh, this is Roy Roebuck. When we were developing the uh, enterprise architecture for continuity operations for the federal government, one of the things we identified within what we call our process catalog is that at the high level we use for knowledge services, we want to use something like OWL-S, and those would be much as represented in the pre previous presentation. Those would decompose down to a specific WSDL transaction and event level services. And uh, the modeling of those processes would be tied to the decomposition of organization functions uh, supporting the mission. So we have a, we have a methodology to build up um, OWL-S services as a, uh, as a means of automating defined processes down to the transaction level, uh, again, built on WSDL. Okay. Then... Uh I would like uh, now to move to the next uh, presentation, um, which will be by uh, um, uh, John Domingue on um, WISMO. Hi, this is um, John Domingue here. Um, in the interest of time, um, uh, I, I'm only really going to talk about what WISMO is. I say practically nothing about the motivation or the background or the applications, um, but we, we have all of that. Um, a couple of other points. Um, I should say that I pretty much agree with everything that David said. So I know there's been some discussions about that we're, we're a community that don't really talk to each other, which I don't think is really fair. So there are conversations going on, and, and, and there is agreement over a lot of issues. Um, so I said I wouldn't say anything about the underlying motivation for WISMO. I just say one thing. Um, the, the way, so as everyone knows um, in this telecom, an ontology is uh, a conceptualization that's shared of a domain. For us in WISMO, there are two domains that we speak about, which differentiates us, I think, from the, the other approaches. So first there's the domain of the web service, so you have ontological descriptions to describe web services. Secondly, you have the domain of the client or user, which we try and capture ontologically. And then for us, the role of uh, semantic web services is to act as a broker between clients and or users 
and web services. This comes out of a, a European project which began in the late 1990s called Eyebrow. Okay, so let me move to, straight, I jump straight into uh, Wismo now on slide two. So the top level concepts um, for Wismo, there are four. Um, the first on the left is mundane. Everything is supported by uh, ontologies. I'll say nothing more about this for the rest of my presentation. I concentrate on the other, thing, other three. At the top, we have goals. So goals, um, within goals, we try to capture the objectives uh, or intentions or desires that a client or user may have or want to achieve when using a web service. On the right, we have the ontological descriptions for the web services themselves, which are split into two. We have uh, functional descriptions to describe the capability of the web service, and then we have uh, what we call interfaces, which describe um, things like the grounding and how you use a particular web service. Uh, in the web service description, you'll see things that look um, uh, not too dissimilar to OWLS, so we borrowed from OWLS, um, as any good researcher should. At the bottom, uh, we have mediators. So for us, the fact that we're taking components um, somewhat arbitrarily off the internet, then um, these are going to be heterogeneous and they're going to be mismatches of very different types. So mediation is going to be very important, so we represent that as a first-class citizen in our ontology. Okay, we move to slide three. Um, that simply says the first part of my the next part of my presentation will focus on the uh, our descriptions of web services. So first I'll talk about um, the capability. So now I'm on slide four. So the capability description in Wismo um, has these uh, um, the, uh, bullets that are there. The first one is a non-functional properties. I haven't listed these in the interest of time, but we have um, properties which are related to doubling core, um, properties related to quality of service, financial information. So in some respects, this is relatively mundane. Um, the next part of the capability specification are imported ontologies. So you may want to use ontologies uh, to actually describe the capability. You put these ontologies in the imported, imported ontology slot if there are no mismatches. If there are mismatches, then you have to use a mediator. And in the use mediator slot, there are two types of mediators one can use an OO mediator for um, coping with the mismatches that occur when you import ontologies. And then we have WG mediators. So the capability which is tied to a web service may be linked to a goal, and there'll be mismatches. Those mismatches will be re resolved by a WG mediator. The, other, um, the next four bullets um, are similar to the uh, types of attributes that one finds in OWLS. And there are two dimensions that are described here. We have before the web service is um, executed, and we have after the web service is executed. The other dimension is um, describing uh, what we can access directly in terms of what's in our broker, what's in the machinery, so things like the inputs to the web service, and then describing things that we don't have uh, direct access to. So things that um, change in the world. So the precondition, um, we describe um, what types of inputs we're going to um, get and the, con uh, the constraints over those before the web service is executed. 
the assumptions before the web service executed are now talking about the state of the world. So if I'm ordering a book, there may be um, certain conditions about the state of my bank balance for the buyer. Those conditions, similarly, we talk about um, the condition of the uh, output uh, after the web service executed. If that's, again, if I was buying a book, some book in some warehouse may be transported um, across the ocean to my home in England. Okay, moving to slide uh, five. So here's um, a pictorial representation of the complete web service description in uh, Wismo. So I've already mentioned the um, bubbles on the top left and the top right. On the top left we have the non-functional properties. Uh, which, uh, we have doubling core, quality of service, version, versioning information, financial information. This isn't hardwired into Wismo. Um, we envisage adding to these. Then we have the capability, which looks similar to our left and is used, um, as uh, David Martin said, for the advertising of the web service and to support web service discovery. And then we have the two new parts. So the box in the middle indicates that we're not interested in the actual web service uh, implementation. This is an ontological description sitting in some broker. On the left, we have the choreography, where we describe um, how one should interact uh, with this web service. So the external visible behavior, how you communicate with the web service. And in here, we would include the grounding to uh, whistle. On the right, um, some web services will be composite. So some web services invoke other web services to achieve their functionality. And then the control and data flow, how those web services are aggregated, is described in the orchestration. Okay, now I move to slide six. So the next couple of slides, uh, I show um, an example of orchestration to uh, flash out what that means. So in slide six, we have um, a web service uh, which is called VTA, for uh, Virtual Travel Agency. So in here, um, we have a web service that's going to call other web services to book a flight and to book a hotel. We have a, a green um, bubble, uh, which is the, represents the orchestration. And in that orchestration, we have uh, four goals. So the, the, the uh, unit of composition for us is a goal that can be invoked. So we have a flight request, a hotel request, that uh, we can book a flight and we can book a hotel. And then the orchestration is the control and data flow over those goals. Uh, we use uh, abstract state machines uh, as the underlying representation language. I'll say no more about that. Okay, moving to slide seven. So um, slide six showed the uh, definition of the orchestration. Slide seven um, indicates what happens when some machinery is running the orchestration. So what happens at runtime is the, the goals that are defined get bound to web services that can satisfy those goals. So there are two web services, one for a flight web service and a hotel web service, each of which is able to satisfy um, two of the goals. And um, when the goal is invoked, we take the first goal, the flight request, then uh, a message is sent to the web service through the choreography, so the choreography special, um, specifies how to interact with that web service, and then the, the actual deployed web service is invoked, and the message comes back. Okay, moving to slide um, eight. So I've described um, one of the three bubbles, the web service description. Now I move to the 
um, the description of goals in WISMO. So trying to describe what the client wants to achieve. So here I'll say a little bit about um, uh, some of the motivation for goals because it's slightly different to the other approaches that are going to be described now. So as I mentioned at the beginning, um, uh, our overall aim is we want to ontologically decouple the, the domain of the requester or client and the domain of the provider. So these would um, sit in um, uh, very different contexts and very different ontologies. Um, there's a history of work which comes from the um, early 1990s on um, task and problem solving methods and domain models. And uh, the predecessor of Wismo, or one of the predecessors, was something called the UPML framework, which was developed by Dieter Fentel and Enrico Motta at our lab. The, um, the, our view is it's useful to structure and reuse requests. So in certain contexts, the requests that are made by users or clients are somehow similar. So these may be in some uh, knowledge domain. So in the domain of search, there are going to be terms which have uh, logical connectors between them. In the domain of diagnosis, we'll have symptoms which uh, map to a diagnosis or classifications. We have attributes which have values which we classify according to some predefined schema, um, etc., etc. There may be a vertical application domain. So if I'm in a um, a, ho um, a holiday booking environment, then I want to differentiate between the requests that um, people will make, where they'll describe their holiday in terms of the number of children they have, um, the type of culture they want, the type of weather they want, which we have to map to web services, which will be of a very different nature. Um, for us, the requests that are made, so the goals don't have to, even in principle, be satisfiable by any web service. So if I give a pathological case, Somebody may want to make the request, I want to be the President of the United States. And there's no web services there that can solve that particular request, but there may be web services that can somehow help. And then we use the ontological relationships and mediators to link the goals made by the requesters to web services that we have uh, described. Uh, a goal specification, uh, I'm moving to slide 10 now. So um, the top two bullets are the uh, same as before. We have the non-functional properties and the important ontologies. So pretty much every um, entity in WISMO will have uh, non-functional properties, and many of them have uh, important ontologies. And then we have uh, links to the mediators we may use. We may want to import ontologies for our description, and there may be mismatches. So we need our own mediators. We, um, if you imagine that uh, there's a library of goals that exist and we want to take a goal from the uh, library and reuse that, then we use a GG mediator to differentiate between the, the goal that we want and the goal that's in the library. The other two parts are um, similar to the descriptions that we have in the web service because the goal specification matched against an existing web service. So we have the requested capability, um, which describes the service functionality you expect. Um, but from the perspective of the uh, client or requester, and we have the interface. So the um, uh, the agent that's making the request may have constraints on the type of communication they want, or they may have restrictions on the types of web services or categories of web services that they use to fulfill the request. Okay, moving to slide 11. So I've covered um, uh, two of the three um, areas. I'm going to cover the last one now, which is uh, mediators which again um, is a differentiating factor 
between uh, WISMO and uh, the other approaches. So, on uh, slide 12, um, I give a little way of motivation. So, um, there's this nice quote I found uh, from somebody who had it in a slide who refers to IBM. So, for every uh, dollar spent on programming, five to nine dollars is spent on integration. So, in, in the business context, our view that uh, integration is a large problem to solve, and you need to mediate between the different components. So, we assume in WISMO, you'll, you'll always need uh, mediation. So, we, we have it there as a top-level entity, as I said earlier. Now, um, when I talk about mediation, I often get asked, well, how do you know if a web service is a mediating web service or not? How, what's the real difference? Um, so, what I put in the slide is that what we're describing here is the role that the web service is playing. So, um, the same web service may be described as a plain web service or as a mediator. But in one context, it's playing the role of a web service. In another context, it's mediating, resolving some mismatch between um, WISMO components. Um, within WISMO, on the last bullet, we um, consider three types of mediation. There's mediation uh, at the data level, uh, which will map to uh, OO mediated ontological mismatches. There may be mismatches in the um, the way the client wants to invoke the web service and then the, the um, interactions that a web service requires. And then the underlying business processes and business models of web services may differ, and then we, may, we need to mediate between those. Okay, slide 13. I, I um, uh, pictorially represent the different types of mediators between us. So in um, WISMO, we talk about having um, something called the safe sex principle. So between any component, you must have a mediator to mediate between them. This is um, following the assumption that there's always going to be a mismatch. So um, the types of mediators we have in the ontology uh, really describe the types of components that you're connecting together. So if you're connecting um, one ontology to another, uh, you need an OO mediator connecting ontology to a web service or a goal. You also have an OO mediator. If you're connecting goals together, you have a GG mediator. If you're connecting a web service and a goal, you have a WG mediator. And you have a WW mediator for web services. Um, slide 14 shows the um, overall structure for a mediator. Um, there's uh, one or more source components, and then there's a target component uh, where there's some sort of mismatch. Uh, the mediator points to uh, mediation services. Um, I don't show this on the slide, but we also have mapping rules. The mediation service can be um, the description of another web service, or it can be a goal, which is then later on uh, matched to a web service by some machinery. Uh, slide 15. Um, I don't have time to give examples of all of the mediators, so I chose a GG mediator uh, to give an example of. So, uh, as I said earlier, if you imagine that you have a library of goals, uh, we want to reuse that and customize a particular goal. So in the example, we have a library where there's a goal for, uh, which describes what it is to buy a, tr a ticket, a generic ticket, and then for my domain, I want to talk about buying a train ticket. And then I have a mediator which um, alters the post condition. Now the, the ticket has to be a type train ticket. So a relatively trivial example. Okay, so um, uh, my last couple of slides 
on slide 16, um, just to acknowledge that the WISMO work is funded by uh, a number of large EU projects and a couple of uh, national projects in Ireland and in the UK. Um, the other chairs of the uh, WISMO working group are Christoph Busler and uh, Dieter Fensel, and there are um, many, many members of the group which are listed in the URLs, which are on slide 17. So, um, in addition to the URL for the WISMO website, I've put two other URLs. Uh, at the Open University, we have a tool called the IRS, which um, is one of the uh, reference implementation platforms for WISMO. At the WISMO website, you'll find a link to WISMEX, which is an open source uh, tool. And then I've put a link to the DIP project, which is a, a large EU project where a lot of the WISMO work um, is carried out. Okay, then that's the end. Thank you, John. We have a couple of minutes for questions. John, uh, Peter Hume here. Uh, uh, we talked a little bit uh, earlier at one of the uh, Ontolog conference calls, and you mentioned the uh, EU project uh, Super. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that, too? Yeah. Um, let me say generically. So uh, the people from the US may correct me if my uh, view is wrong. So uh, historically, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of funding in the US for semantic web services. At the moment, there's lots for much funding. In, in Europe, um, the amount of funding for semantic web services is very high. So in the last call in our department alone, we have three new projects which are going to use um, or apply semantic web service technology. So I, I briefly say a little bit about those. Um, we have one in the domain of e-learning, where we're going to move the paradigm of e-learning from uh, learning objects, which people on this conference call may know about, to um, thinking about web services and semantic web services which are related to uh, learning. I have um, a semantic web services project in the domain of um, informatics. Um, this project is called the Living Human Digital Library. The ambition for this project is to, um, we're working with um, biomechanical engineers. They want to create um, a complete model on a computer which models the um, human musculoskeletal framework from the muscles and bones down to the protein level. The uh, underlying infrastructure for this will be based around our semantic web services infrastructure. Uh, the project that Peter mentioned called SUPA um, is um, a large project which has the overall budget will be something like 16 million euros. The funding will be about 11 or 12 million euros and it has something like 16 partners and is led by SAP. Um, this project, what we want to do is uh, move into the area of modeling business processes. So at the moment, um, you have uh, a business expert and an IT expert who sit together and they model the processes in the company. We want to allow uh, business experts to manage the processes which reside in IT systems um, using a combination of business process modeling tools and semantic web service technology. So we link business process modeling tools through ontology to um, semantic web service technology. We have a two-way um, query, querying link. What's the name of that last project? Yeah, it's called Super. Super, oh, that's right, okay. And uh, actually, John, um, you mentioned about uh, machine learning, and this might be a question that 
David Martin from the, the one from IBM might, might know more, perhaps more about. It, since uh, you, you approach mediation as some kind of a goal-driven um, you know, process, um, there's room, obviously, for some optimization um, of, of that process. Have you looked into um, our, um, AI architectures that um, can optimize um, these type of goal-driven activities or problem-solving activities via machine learning, um, thinking more specifically of the SOAR architecture uh, from Paul Rosenblum at ISI? Um, the, the short answer to that is um, no. The, 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 I think the, optim the, the, the real background for the WISMO work in terms of ontologies comes, as I mentioned in one of my slides, from the work that was carried out on um, uh, problem-solving methods and task ontologies that was carried out by the knowledge acquisition community. So the, the focus of that group is how do you create um, libraries of problem-solving methods and, and uh, task models so that, such that one can create um, knowledge-intensive applications on the fly. I have a question. Uh, this is Pat Cassidy. Uh, are there any examples of the OO mediation that can be uh, viewed, downloaded and viewed on the web, how it works? Um, if you go to the um, uh, WISMO website, then um, you'll see there, there are many drafts of documents there. So th th there, is an, um, there, are, there is a document which describes the WISMO approach to mediation. This, this is a planned approach? This isn't an implemented system? Um, so the, the document uh, I'm talking about at the moment um, describes the, uh, the ontology and there are ontological descriptions of what an, uh, an OO mediator would look like. Okay. All right. I think now we need to move to uh, the presentation on the Wheels of Doll S by Amit. Okay. Uh, uh, if you have the presentation up, um, this is a joint effort uh, between my lab, uh, LSDS lab, and IBM, um, particularly uh, folks on the East Coast in, uh, at Watson and uh, in Boston. Uh, and uh, expanding further uh, beyond this report that I'll be presenting. I'm going to mostly reuse the presentation we made uh, at the Innsbruck Framework Workshop. Um, let's go to the slide number two. Um, and the slide builds, uh, there are five Excuse steps Excuse me here. a moment. Uh, we are not quite ready on the, uh, on the VNC yet. Uh, we will be in a moment. Okay. Uh, while you uh, are working on that, uh, there are, you know, there is uh, a web resource where there are documents and um, uh, some tools, and shortly some more use cases will be coming. Um, okay, we're ready. Okay, so on slide number two. Um, that broadly describes the scope of Wisdom S. Uh, we're talking about uh, taking uh, Wisdom, which is an accepted standard for web services. So we, um, I, a general comment I want to make is that I'm going to focus on this Wisdom S, which is also uh, just a small part of Meteor S project. Uh, and in some sense, Meteor S has a broader goal and objectives uh, similar to Wismo and Wismic uh, work. Uh, but I'm going to focus on a very narrow subset of that, just that of specification of 
uh, semantic web services as we as we have conceived of um, in working with IBM. Um, so with the visual as we basically want to um, provide an evolutionary approach and um, uh, we want to be able to annotate a web service uh, as uh, they are uh, currently being defined. Um, we want to be able to publish that. Uh, again, uh, we want to be able to publish that uh, just using extensively element of uh, UDDI, so the semantics should be captured that way. Uh, we want to, to be able to, and uh, in the annotation, we want to be able to use um, ontologies that may be defined using current accepted uh, form of uh, specifications and languages. Uh, and then we want to be able to uh, look for appropriate um, uh, services, uh, and for that uh, we have concept of service templates. And then uh, you know we want in those service templates use again ontological descriptions. So there is a common um, uh, thing that bonds uh, what you're looking for with how you annotated something. Um, and then at the end you get uh, you can search, and eventually <coughs> what is more important is that. And as uh, the previous presentation pointed out, and uh, in a way, uh, as I was talking to some colleagues at IBM, we also noticed that the bigger challenges in integration uh, and in terms of dealing with the heterogeneity, uh, I had myself a, co a company that was spun off from a, a previous project called Meteor. And uh, when we deployed some real-world workflow applications, uh, the most time that we spent was in doing mapping of data elements between uh, independently developed tasks, which we now call services. So uh, it's a compo the composition time, or when you have to integrate the services, there there is a significant challenge, uh, and that's a significant business problem right now. Uh, so much more than, say, discovery, uh, it's a composition also that is very important. And it's for that, you'll see uh, some emphasis on mapping in our work. Um, uh, going to the slide number three. Um, there are some basic guiding principles in how we approach Visual S, build upon existing web services standard, um, uh, mechanism, define mechanism that is independent of semantic representation language, uh, and that uh, it should be possible, if necessary, uh, to uh, associate multiple notations written in different uh, representative languages. Uh, that's not a very big deal, but 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 that, that is something that uh, our colleagues wanted. Um, uh, going on to slide four, support semantic annotation of web services whose data types are described in XML schema. Things that current uh, generation of uh, web service developers are very well familiar with. Uh, provide support for rich mapping mechanism between web service schema types and ontologies. This is the critical part. Uh, where uh, we wanted to give building block such that we can deal with the heterogeneity and mapping issues later on. Going to slide number five, uh, we want to of, uh, offer an evolutionary and compatible, compatible with the current standards, existing standard web service standards. Um, and uh, we want to externalize the semantic domain models uh, that are agnostic to ontology representation languages, uh, they can reuse existing domain models and allow annotation using multiple ontologies. Um, and uh, it should be easier to update uh, current visual, uh, you know, the tools that are built around visual. So as you can see, uh, the focus in, in this work has been much more pragmatic, uh, somewhat limited, uh, and uh, totally evolutionary in nature.
not only evolutionary in terms of technologies, but also keeping in mind uh, the current training and um, you know education of the uh, practitioners in the field. Going to slide number six, then what Visdal offers uh, is uh, semantic generation on visual elements. So um, the first thing is to annotate the message types, and there are two aspects of it. One is to semantically um, uh, relate what you have what you have described. Uh, as you know, that the attributes or properties in your XML document in your web service versus what you have in the ontology, and then and that is referred to as or that is uh, supported by model reference, and the second is to provide schema and data mapping that part. So once you know that these two objects are related, uh, then you need to be able to map from one to another uh, and and take care of data mapping issues, and for that you have schema mapping. So the two clean issues, uh, semantic and syntactic and structural issues. Um, addition, uh, the same way, you have um, uh, ways to annotate operations. So you have external element that is precondition and effects. Again, um, nothing conceptually so new uh, to, uh, compared to uh, work that has been described since 19, uh, 2001 time frame in OWLS, in our early work in Meteoris and such, uh, and other efforts. Um, also, there is extension attribute category uh, on the interface element, and uh, also being able to uh, deal with the action uh, so that you can associate this model reference on the operation elements. Um, the next slide uh, is just a very quick uh, or simple um, uh, example, slide number seven, uh, where you can see some of the uh, annotations, model reference, category, uh, and so on and so forth. I won't go that into details there. It's pretty simple. Uh, let's go to slide number eight. So, um, in annotating the operations, uh, you can define preconditions, and you want to be able to uh, give a set of assertions that uh, should be satisfied. Uh, you must have an existing account with the company, or only U.S. customers can be served, and so on and so forth. You also have specification of effects. Again, nothing. Um, quite unusual uh, about the concept here, except just shows you how you can do it just by extending the current standard. Uh, and then uh, extension attribute category, where you can define, for example, uh, category, um, say, electronic code, and so on and so forth. So uh, you can uh, you define category on a visual interface element. And finally, extension element action, uh, where you can annotate uh, that can be noted with functional ontology concepts. So, in general, in Meteores, for example, we we recognize four, and we have done so since 2003, uh, four different types of semantics: uh, input, output, or data; uh, function or behavioral; uh, non-functional, including quality of service, and and execution semantics that also deal with the runtime issues, exceptions, and so on and so forth. So, there is an explicit uh, effort to be able to support uh, uh, you know uh, this type of semantics, although current specification uh, deals with all these types in a limited form. But here uh, you can annotate functional ontology concepts. Um, if you go to slide number nine, annotating message types. Uh, here there is a very simple correspondence um, uh, on the uh, visual on the left and uh, on the uh, ontology on the right. Um, uh, you're mapping uh, purchase order response with uh, something called order confirmation there. Um, in the next one is a little bit more interesting, slide number 10, 
where you are doing complex correspondences if this is a, an object this is an activity that we must support and we need to find a way to do that uh, more effectively uh, we made a conscious decision to um, uh, first of all support this but also uh, limit ourselves to the expressiveness of the language that are consistent with what um, programmers would know about XPath, uh, XSD, those kind of stuff. So um, here you have a visual complex element type uh, model reference to a slab first established semantic association and then uh, you have um, uh, the schema mapping uh, uh, that comes up uh, that deals with the structural heterogeneity beyond a semantic match. Again, we kept to a rather simple example here. Uh, go to slide number 11, uh, and uh, this deals with, uh, again, semantic match first. It shows you, and then, uh, so there is a model reference at the complex type level uh, between the in the address, and then there is a, uh, a you know, model reference and schema mapping uh, that goes down to the next level of detail. So slide number 12 and 13 kind of walks you through the details and the mappings involved there. So uh, the here, in the, if you look at, if you go all the way to slide number 13, uh, it shows mapping using XSLT. So this is a very uh, bird's eye view of SLS and um, uh, in perspective, if you go to uh, slide number 15 now, 14 is just um, high level, there's nothing on that. Uh, on slide number 15, it simply shows you how um, VisualS is just an adaptation or extension of um, um, the current Visual 2.0 specification. So on the uh, green side, you can see uh, some adaptations, and on the and there is a uh, red element there uh, on the slide uh, that uh, talks about an extension uh, to deal with the action. Um, so uh, or you can use XML. OWL or UML types, uh, and, and, and then you can also specify precondition, post-conditions post uh, by extending Visual 2.0. Um, number 18 just give you, gives you, uh, earlier there was a point made um, about um, uh, biology and bioinformatics as early adopters of semantic web services. We are also seeing that. Uh, we have a, a National Institute of Health funded um, uh, center here, which we are part of, and um, uh, there we are developing uh, in complex carbohydrate and protein-protein uh, uh, interactions uh, area um, a, a semantic portal uh, that is something somewhat uh, parallels uh, semantic uh, MOBI uh, effort uh, that was I think earlier referred to, and uh, here we are developing a portal uh, where the web services are uh, being uh, you know presented as visible as services. Uh, so, so that people can understand what they mean, what are the input output, and um, uh, fortunately, in our, our case, we have some comprehensive uh, deep domain ontologies called Glyco and Proprio that are be, that have been developed, and uh, uh, they are then used uh, to uh, annotate these web services to provide much uh, granular description, semantic description of what these services can do. Uh, slide number 19. Um, uh, we're trying to uh, coordinate, uh, and we are coordinating with other efforts. Uh, in particular, um, uh, there have been a number of exchanges with the, um, and including the upcoming people exchange uh, between our uh, project, Meteores project, and the um, Vismo and Vismic uh, uh, efforts. Uh, and um, uh, in some sense, Vistalas could be used as a, uh, potentially as a grounding for, uh, for Vismo. 
uh, and um, uh, there's some more things going on um, uh, to to we have we have gotten extensive input um, uh, from collaborators at uh, working on the Wismo Wismix project about uh, things that uh, could help uh, uh, in uh, in providing a better mapping between their needs and using this drill as as, as grounding um, and. Um, um, uh, like other efforts, we are also uh, attempting to provide inputs to uh, W3C uh, for the specification aspects of it and on to the OSCs, uh, uh, working with Wismo and the Wismix on the uh, execution uh, aspects of, uh, of the equation. Um, nine, next slide, uh, I think the last slide, slide number 20, uh, uh, we have a tool called Radiant uh, that's downloadable. Um, uh, next week we'll uh, make another release of that uh, product, uh, next version of that, uh, that tool uh, that helps you do semantic annotation of uh, web services uh, w uh, pro with the OWL ontology. So you can see the web service uh, XML tree on the left and on the right you can see, for example, uh, an OWL ontology. Um, yeah, that, but that particular one is a Rosetta Red based, I think, ontology. And, um, uh, uh, this tool is available, and um, we're also um, having some exchanges with IBM on on, on such matters. So uh, the next slide, so more or less, I've completed what I primarily wanted to say. Uh, the next slide are very quickly just um, uh, summarizing. Uh, it's a simple, lightweight, affordably compatible <coughs> approach uh, uh, meant for practical adoption. Uh, agnostic to semantic representation, uh, there is work uh, going on uh, to support UML uh, in addition to OWL, and uh, we want to make sure that the tools uh, can be easily up uh, upgraded um, uh, with with this specification. So that's the end of my presentation, and I think I'll very quickly walk through it. Thank you very much. Uh, questions for Amit? This is Mike Rushold. Ahmed, nice presentation. Um, you did mention that it, from a kind of leading-edge academic perspective that much what, what you've done has been done already. For instance, the work, earlier work at Manchester and CMU for matching advertising discovery, etc. It seems like your work has more of a practical slant. What else would you say about the work that you're doing in terms of annotation matching that compares with what's been done already? Uh, Actually, um, I, um, uh, I, I meant it uh, in the sense that conceptually, uh, uh, you know, our, our project started in also 2000, 2001. And so in that sense, there has been common, uh, you know, uh, evolutions uh, in, 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 you know, various concepts, uh, precondition, post-conditions, uh, effects, uh, uh, various other things. Then we started, I think we, we were with the, one of the early ones to notice the need for non-functional, uh, we have paper, um, a quite early paper on quality of service and uh, ontological modeling of quality of service and uh, annotation of web services with quality of service ontologies and such. I think uh, the, uh, on the matching side, um, our work has, is, uh, distinctly, uh, has distinctly different flavor uh, in a technical level uh, than the work uh, that was done in the OWL-S context. Um, uh, and uh, for that, you could look up, I think, what was it, 2004 World Wide Web paper. Uh, we had a paper in World Wide Web uh, in 2004, and if you look, that, uh, if you, if you look at that, um, uh, you will see the uh, clear distinction between that and the... Uh, but and again, I mean, problem that we are trying are similar, uh, 
uh, on the matching part, uh, indeed, uh, I think our approach, uh, I believe, is uh, pretty practical, uh, and um, uh, we have built tools and evaluations of those things. Is it ready for, say, me to download and play with, as I could a couple years ago, download and play with the work from CMU in Manchester? Uh, yes. Okay, uh, I'll look and, Yeah, and uh, particularly, uh, uh, if you are interested in uh, playing with this thing, my suggestion would be the first to give a try to uh, this radiant tool, just to see that annotations are practical and doable, and then you then uh, see about uh, and then look into the issues of matching uh, issues. Thank you. Uh, can I, uh, Peter Yim here, ask a question about the uh, licensing arrangement for the radiant tool? Uh, yeah, very good question. The licensing arrangement essentially is that we were beneficiaries of uh, Eclipse uh, Innovation Grant in 2004 and 2005. So we are releasing these tools uh, and uh, uh, ontologies. Uh, by the, uh, another thing that we also offer is a large array of ontologies. Uh, and um, uh, we are using uh, open source, uh, particularly the tools are being released in Eclipse uh, license, so I think it is uh, quite accessible to, I think, everybody. Fantastic. Thank you. And, uh, and they are being released as Eclipse plugin. Uh, if you, you may also be, besides the issues of semantics, uh, some may be interested in a, a, a pretty good design, at least I believe it's a very good designer, graphical designer. Uh, of at least if you wanted a free one. There may be very expensive designer available, uh, but among the free ones, uh, uh, there is also an Eclipse plugin for a graphical designer. From there on, uh, when you're designing, you can also make use of Visual S, um, and, uh, and thereby you can then ha incorporate um, uh, semantics in the life cycle. Uh, and we, are, uh, we will soon release um, the full Meteor S implementation, then in that case you'll see Visual S being used in the entire life cycle of uh, uh, annotation, uh, publishing, uh, composition, and execution. We should also mention that uh, in the context of the graphical service editors, there is also the Protege plugin for RLS that was developed um, in conjunction between uh, um, Grid Denker at SRI and David Elenius um, uh, uh, recently. That's uh, Daniel Elenius. And uh, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you mentioned about um, uh, precondition checking, and also John mentioned um, some topic on that as well earlier. Um, do you support um, um, constraints um, typically typical of a model checking uh, uh, approaches, like a safety and liveliness expressions? Hello? Oh, I'm sorry. Was that for me at SRI? Uh, this was actually for, for uh, maybe I should postpone this question to the discussion after uh, Mike Gruninger's question, because I think it might um, apply to 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 his um, topic as well. And um, and so since Amit seems to have uh, kind of stopped Hi, this out. is uh, Kunal Verma with uh, Amit Seth. So okay. I'd like to try to answer this question about uh, preconditions. So, uh, there are two kinds of preconditions which we look at, uh, quantitative preconditions which are just numbers and such. So for that we use integer linear programming. And uh, for what we call non-quantitative uh, preconditions, uh, we typically use uh, swirl reasoners. So we do have some kind of precondition checking, but we 
So far, we've never used model checking for any of this. Uh, mainly just uh, description logic, reasoners, or rule-based engines, or um, uh, linear programming. All right, thank you. And uh, now I think it's time to transition to uh, the next uh, presentation uh, by Michael Greenberg. Close. Oh, okay. Any I, I have control of the screen, so. Okay. I wanted. Hello. Yes, I wanted to just mention in terms of downloading tools, uh, our colleagues um, working with Amit at uh, IBM Watson Lama, uh, actually Watson, and so on. They, they've had uh, tools related to Google uh available to download in the Alpha, IBM Alpha work. Uh, so if you if you want to try things out in addition to Amit's team tools, there's also documented tools from IBM that you can try. The licensing thing is, is according to our work, but you know, if you're interested, you can send an email. So. Sorry about that. Yeah. The, there's a link to the IBM, uh, uh, you know, tool page uh, from the Visualist page also, uh, as well as the presentation. Both where you can get there and uh, get to the uh, page where IBM has the tools there. Thank you. Thank you. Mike. Okay. Ready. Uh, so uh, I'll be presenting um, some of the work that uh, is under the Semantic Web Services framework uh, uh, work uh, called Flows, and I'm particularly indebted to Sheila McLeray uh, for much of the material in this particular presentation, um, with, uh, some of which appeared at the earlier workshop in June. Uh, slide two, if it's working. Uh, oops, how do I go back? Okay, uh, I just want to put um, this in a little bit of context in a, in a sea of acronyms that kind of arose out of this project. It, it, this began with the Semantic Web Services Initiative, uh, which had two committees, um, architecture and language. And the language committee, which later uh, we kind of named ourselves the, the framework committee, uh, committee uh, had two uh, subgroups, uh, one dealing with the language, the underlying logical language, and the other dealing with the ontology that would be written in that language. Um, the, there, actually, and then it ended up being two different uh, languages um, in Swizzle, one being a uh, rules language with you know, non-montonic aspects, mm -hmm. and the other being a first-order language, classical first-order logic uh, language. And uh, the, these languages were used then to build the, specify the ontology, flows being the first order axiomatization of the ontology and uh, in, a, in a parallel rows um, that was uh, specified using the rules uh, language. Both of these ontologies have the same concepts, uh, but they're just written in the two different languages. Uh, and I will be talking, uh, restricting all my comments to uh, flows. Uh, slide three. Uh, it's just, uh, as, as David said earlier, some uh, you know, motherhood motivation um, on advancing. Okay, well, uh, slide three, uh, I'll skip over. Um, it uh, is just some very high-level motivation everyone here shares. I mean, we want to automate web service discovery and invocation. But I want to move on to uh, slide four. Uh, in particular, um, because this the kind of Michael, queries that maybe I'll, I'll advance the slides for you. Yeah, because I seem to be having a weird delay. Right. Yeah, um, like your mouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's an apple. Yeah. Um, the particular kinds of 
queries, for example, that we would want to address with discovery um, really kind of motivated some of the expressiveness issues in the underlying language. Um, for, for example, uh, okay, in this case here, fluent is a technical term in our ontology for state. So if you wanted to identify, you know, which web services change a particular state, right, which of them can actually ship a book, or which web services can achieve a particular state um, without performing a particular activity, okay, can I ship a book but not use a credit card? Uh, or I might want to even find web services that achieve a particular state but in which one activity uh, occurs before another, right? So I want to find services that in which my credit card is charged only after the book leaves the warehouse. Uh, or even to uh, find alternative um, services that change the same uh, particular, um, achieve the same goals, um, but if a particular service is unavailable can still uh, achieve that same goal. Uh, so these would be the kind of queries that we would want to be able to specify using the terms of the ontology and which would be solved uh, using only uh, the axioms of the ontology alone. Uh, and to do this, we kind of really needed to have a language uh, that had at least the expressiveness of first-order logic. So in slide five were some of the kind of representational requirements that we wanted to have uh, satisfied by flows. Um, we wanted to have a clear uh, model theoretic semantics, something very simple, uh, an ontology in which uh, both primitive or atomic uh, processes as well as composite processes were first-class objects, and you have a relation over the comp a composition relation over these um, uh, processes. Wanted to maintain uh, you know, a taxonomic representation that both leveraged off of existing service ontologies like IOS, but also interoperated with domain-specific ontologies, for example, cost. Uh, wanted it to uh, integrate with existing uh, web uh, service standards, um, and so that we also needed to incorporate some representation of messages uh, and data flow uh, to be able to capture activities, the preconditions, effects, um, and as, as well as being able to talk about partial descriptions of web service behavior, not, not requiring people to have completely detailed ones. So in slide six, one of the first, uh, you know, pl the places where, well, one of the first places we started was to consider flows to essentially be at least including a first order axiomatization of the intended semantics of OWL S. Uh, so OWL uh, is too weak to fully axiomatize the intended semantics of OWL uh, particularly the control constructs. Um, the, for example, the, the definition of the unordered control construct um, in LS is written in English in, in the LS documentation, but you, any implementation needs to use extra logical mechanisms uh, in order to conform to the LS semantics. And one of the things that we wanted to do within flows was provide a rich enough axiomatization that you could do any reasoning uh, with the ontology or to test your conformance to the ontology using the axioms directly and using only the axioms alone. So the next slide then, slide seven, um, you know, we believe that to have an unambiguously computer interpretable description of the service descriptors uh, and the process model of a web service and its effect on the world, all of these properties that we need to, f to fully automate the, the diversity of tasks that we want uh, requires that we have a very rich uh, process model, very expressive language for modeling uh, web services. Um, and 
uh, in particular, we were going to be uh, reusing as much as possible um, some of the other standard work that's out there. So on slide eight, flows, the acronym being the first order logic ontology for web services, uh, has two main components. One are service descriptors, which you can think of as service metadata, and uh, the process model. On slide nine, the process model itself uh, consists of a subset of the ontology from the process specification language, together with some extensions for, for service concepts. And I'll be getting into those in just a few minutes. Um, so as, well, all I'm going to say about um, PSL on slide 10 is PSL uh, is a uh, modular, extensible uh, ontology. It was initially designed for uh, specifying manufacturing and business processes, um, but it, it was generic enough that we decided to use it as the foundation uh, for uh, flows. Uh, it's been published as an international standard as ISO 18629. Uh, there are currently about 300 concepts that are organized in a, in a modular uh, way, a modular uh, um, ordering of extensions of a common core theory. And all, all of the terms in the ontology are specified uh, using uh, the common logic language, which itself is being standardized uh, within ISO as Project 24707. Um, all of the core theories within the ontology extend the situation calculus um, and the work, say, that, that uh, went on uh, at the University of Toronto in the cognitive robotics group. And so we're able to uh, leverage off of some of the implementations that they have been working on. Um, I'll skip slide 11 and just move to slide 12, which gives an overview of the, the concepts within the flows process model. So we, we, again, we wanted to have a modular, extendable uh, ontology uh, for services. And so we divided it up into what we call flows core and a set of extensions. Uh, flows core incorporates uh, aspects of PSL uh, together with, again, these service-specific descriptions. So we have the notion of a service, uh, atomic process, uh, the composed of relations. So you can talk about uh, services being composed of atomic processes and other services. Uh, we also explicitly introduced the notion of, of a message as being an element of the ontology and uh, channels. And I'll get into a little more detail on those in a few minutes. Um, the various uh, flows extensions then capture uh, additional um, classes of uh, activities and constraints and relations that you would use to uh, define very rich um, uh, process models for services. So the control constraints extension, uh, again, essentially incorporates uh, all of the concepts uh, from LS along the lines of the control constructs. And each of these uh, is a class of activities in the flows ontology, uh, which is fully axiomatized using PSL. Uh, in addition, there are, there are some more constraints that are outside of the scope of LS, um, so that you are able to, rather than, say, prescribe process flow, you can add um, kind of incomplete descriptions and say, uh, you know, I want my service, my process, uh, to you know, be any kind of set of activities as long as they satisfy certain kinds of constraints. So for certain ordering constraints, you can say it's one activity must occur before another, uh, but not specify you know, which the, the exact sequence. Um, or you can say that a particular activity must not occur before another. Uh, there are certain occurrence constraints. So you can say uh, this service uh, does not contain an occurrence of, of a particular 
activity, or if it contains an occurrence of one activity, it must contain an occurrence of another activity. Uh, there are various constraints related to the state, so you can talk about activities being triggered. So as soon as a state is achieved, that may trigger the occurrence of other activities within the service. And then there are ways of talking about exceptions, so that if there are certain uh, property, excuse me, properties that must be uh, satisfied within a service, if those uh, properties are not satisfied at some uh, time during occurrence, it can trigger an exception. So then on slide uh, 13, this gives a little more detail of uh, what's inside uh, uh, Flow's core. Um, the atomic process, again, is uh, essentially a first-order axiomatization of the ALS notion of atomic process. Uh, there are inputs, outputs, preconditions, effects. These are all specific classes of first-order sentences. Uh, in, and in particular, the notion of, of, of inputs and outputs um, you know, are meant to capture uh, data flow constraints, and uh, we use uh, um, an axiomatization of knowledge in order to be taught, so we can talk about what knowledge preconditions there are for a particular atomic process and what, and what knowledge effects that that atomic process can have. Um, atomic processes are the building blocks for services. And uh, so uh, every service is associated, every web service is associated with a particular uh, PSL activity, and there can be much multiple instantiations of that service or occurrences um, of that service. Um, there are then some surface-specific atomic processes within the flows ontology that are primarily de dealing with messages, uh, so that you can create messages, read messages, destroy messages, uh, the reading of messages uh, effectively uh, change the state of knowledge of a particular uh, service occurrence, and uh, this knowledge can then be communicated by creating and sending messages. Um, so messages are first-class uh, objects within the ontology uh, that can be read, and if we want to create, at least lay the infrastructure for talking about different mechanisms to control data flow, and so channels um, are also first-class citizens within the ontology. And so there are certain service-specific activities that can create, destroy um, uh, channels, can add and delete sources for a channel, and add and delete targets uh, for a channel. And so messages can be placed on channels. And uh, the, the, flows, the flow's core ontology simply asserts you know, that, that these kinds of concepts exist and the basic uh, actions that can manipulate them uh, different extensions to flows could place additional kinds of constraints on how uh, channels are created or how messages are created and the relationships between messages and channels. And the idea being here that, that we could then um, be able to uh, relate different approaches to web services and how they deal with um, messages and channels, for example, in your Beeple. Uh, and in this way, uh, flows could provide a, 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 an ontology that could perhaps uh, integrate other web service um, ontologies. Uh, the next slide. Here it says, well, you know, these are the two ways that we would uh, imagine people using flows. Um, you could uh, either define or describe your web services directly in flows and uh, have the associated implementations, or uh, you could use flows to define the semantics uh, for uh, various uh, other um, web service frameworks. 
there is currently work going on at NIST uh, that's dealing with the relationship to UML, capturing uh, the UML semantics, um, kind of essentially mapping to PSL, and we can inherit that mapping to flows. And uh, Sheila, Rick, Hull, and I are also working on um, the, the mapping for, uh, for our finite state machines, so that then different approaches in finite state machines could be uh, automatically translated uh, into a flows process description. Um, so if somebody would say, well, how you know, might the, the, the man on the street uh, describe web services and flows? Um, we are providing a, uh, there is a web uh, uh, surface syntax um, that uh, people can use to uh, specify uh, their web services uh, that would then compile down into the first order expressions and definitions uh, using flows. Uh, the different extensions could be used ineffectively as different styles. So the control constructs extension would be more the, the kind of the flowchart style uh, that, that people would use, say, from ILS um, and other kind of procedural models. Or you could have a very loose style in which you, all you're doing is specifying constraints, and any uh, uh, web service that satisfies those constraints would be a, um, a, a potential uh, web service that could be then fleshed out. Um, so on slide 15, um, so some of the, the kind of criticisms that might be addressed, uh, I mean, we are using first-order logic, and so right away this triggers um, uh, some responses from people. Um, you know, reasoning within first-order logic is too hard. Well, uh, we are specifying the ontology in, in uh, first-order logic, and there will be a lot of uh, queries that will need to use the full expressiveness of first-order logic. But a lot of the other kinds of tasks, for example, automated service uh, composition, uh, we would anticipate that there would be very special purpose reasoners, for example, planning systems, that would be uh, uh, conformant with flows, um, even if they're not directly using flows in a native way. Um, now, this means that there are a lot of uh, problems that are intractable. And it's, it's the, not the language uh, that's intractable. It's the reasoning problems that we're addressing that are intractable. Um, and so there are, are going to be many uh, tractable subcases of these problems, that, and that's an area of active research right now, uh, to identify which are the special uh, restrictions of problems that can guarantee tractability. Um, but the point being that, that it's the problem that's intractable, not the language. And if you restrict yourself to a tractable language, there will be problems that you will not be able to express. Um, it will be a kind of empirical question as to, well, which ones are the ones that we will be able to do uh, tractably. Um, and again, we have a surface, high-level surface syntax. Uh, David Martin kind of mentioned from the perspective of ILS what that syntax would be. Um, I'm not going to go into the syntax in this talk, uh, but that's available from the uh, SWISIF uh, website. And the idea being that, that this would be a template-driven uh, kind of syntax that would then automatically compile into flows descriptions. And the other uh, kind of idea here is that we allow the partial service descriptions. So if you don't want to use the full detail of the language, you don't have to. Uh, is that the less detail you provide, then the more possible service uh, services would be consistent uh, with your service description. Uh, the next slide just gives a, a listing here of all the people who've been involved uh, in SWISIF, um, all the people who are particularly involved in writing of the document. And the final slide, um, 17, uh, just gives the website, and you can find all 
the related documents. Uh, we submit W3C and other uh, documents with examples and use case scenarios uh, from that website. Uh, so that was a really brief uh, introduction because uh, we're running out of time. Um, well, thank you, Mike. Any questions? Uh, I'd like for you to start uh, asking a question. When you mentioned the, the surface syntax, are you referring to the uh, reference grammar that is mentioned uh, as uh, Appendix uh, D on the? Uh, no, it's not the reference grammar. It's the presentation syntax uh, oh. grammar. The the reference grammar is the uh, the target, so to speak, of the com of the uh, surface syntax. So you look at the surface syntax essentially as macros that expand out into that reference grammar. Uh, but it would be the reference grammar that would, say, be used by a uh, theorem prover or uh, another any kind of other kind of inference engine uh, that would be using flows natively. Right. And you, you mentioned um, something about um, you know, some challenges about um, using first-order logic and whatnot, but in, in context of uh, the motivations you mentioned earlier, I can understand why you, mm -hmm. you choose that. Have you, um, or, or to help, for example, do things like uh, mapping as um, like the kind like uh, Amit was mentioning, but right. not in the context of data mapping, but in the context of like, ontological mapping, when you have a partial description of a service to map right. it with some other. Have you looked into um, using um, in a category theoretical concepts like um, morphisms and columnet operations, which um. Well, yeah, not using any category theoretic software, uh, as maybe the, the folks at Boeing uh, play with, um, but the, in the underlying you know, semantic characterization of, of what is a semantics preserving mapping, um, is, you, you definitely are, are looking at uh, isomorphisms. Uh, we don't use uh, category theory directly. We just we stick to the model theory of first order logic. So when you mentioned that you're using an isomorphism, what, 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 what does that mean? I'm not sure if I understand what you mean by uh, that. Well, so the, this is kind of uh, um, uh, lifts off from the uh, work with uh, PSL. Uh, the semantic mappings, there are, are, we have uh, some software that automatically generates um, semantic mappings between a, a target ontology and uh, PSL. And it's based on the notion of identifying uh, invariants uh, properties of the uh, of the models of the ontology that are preserved by isomorphism, and uh, by identifying what those are, the uh, whole ontology is designed around those, and so that uh, effectively by uh, the user uh, kind of considers these different uh, properties and identifies which uh, properties that a particular concept in his ontology has, and that can be used to semi-automatically generate the semantic mapping. Um, and once the mappings to PSL have been defined. Um, you can automatically infer direct mappings between uh, target ontologies. And so anything that, that, that can be done with PSL is inherited effectively by flows. Do you have a, a, a reference or link? Uh, well, there's a paper in the AI magazine uh, spring issue uh, that goes over that. Um, and I can provide the links to the software at NIST for that. Right. Uh, there's a version of that paper on the web, too, if you hunt it down. Yeah, yeah. Okay, at this point, um, maybe we can open the discussion to questions to not only to Mike, perhaps, but to any of the, the various presenters, if uh, uh, as you wish. Okay, be before we do that, I have to mention that we have exceeded the original uh, uh, reserved time on the conference break.
course, if we are lucky, we can stay on. If we are not lucky, we get kicked out. And if you do get kicked out, we all know why. Uh, <laughs> it might be helpful, I mean, Nicholas, for you to maybe uh, decide on how much more time we're going to spend together here uh, so that at least people who can stay can have, uh, can have a budget. Well, maybe then uh, what we can do is um, perhaps first thank uh, all of the, the panelists for uh, taking the time to uh, to present uh, this material in a, in, in a short time and, 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 and make um, available um, their uh, the information they provided to us. And um, sorry, my, my computer just crashed in the meantime. And um, since uh, we're, we may be yanked out of the teleconference call, um, I wanted to at least personally thank uh, all, all of you all for uh, for being here today. And um, without further ado, I'll um, just stay quiet and uh, let the, the others speak uh, as needed. And if you need to leave, um, um, thank you again. Uh, if you can stay, uh, great. Can I ask a question? Go ahead.
the Flows Group and uh, WISMO, uh, particularly, I guess, led, really motivated by Axel Polaris um, in terms of coming up with a, a kind of a common semantics uh, between the two ontologies. This is um, Nicholas Rukat. Um, I've read a lot through all of his various facts, and to me it seems that uh, in there's indeed commonalities, but the more interesting part is, in fact, that they have strengths in areas where they do not overlap. So, for example, where 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 you have uh, things like uh, um, Wisdall S from Amit's group um, at, at University of Georgia, where there's a clear uh, practical focus and um, and and attention paid to practical matters that people who might be comfortable with XML schemas and uh, and, and the web services without the semantics part um, might feel uh, reasonably okay to to jump into the semantic web service you know, area. And um, and at the other end of the spectrum you have things like um, you know FlowS which has you know the you know the granddaddy of model theoretic you know, clean semantics uh, to which uh, a lot of other you know work could be mapped to and, and to perform reasoning um, uh, in, in flows, for example, and and there in, and then in between there are things like uh, OWLs, um, which are much more OWL um, kind of minded. Um, but it seems to me that uh, it, it's a moral question about having practical uh, transformation and mapping machinery to jump. Uh, Back and forth between representations, some from say uh, with OS and say OWLS uh, or, or or flows. That's where the, the the integration problem comes in. Um, so this is John from Red University. So I agree with what's been said. So um, there is some low-hanging fruit um, for combination. There are bilateral discussions going on. Um, one thing I would like to see, um, instead of trying to go for a, um, any grand unification uh, anytime soon, I think what we need to do is um, have more applications and talk more to the people who have requirements. Uh, I mean, in, generically in the ontological area, there's not so much in the way of applications work. People on this conference have uh, discussed that before. But I think um, the semantic web services community, even compared to the generic ontological community, doesn't have much in the way of application if you consider the um, area as a whole. And I think, um, uh, I, I know um, um, the people in different groups will have, uh, are individually, but it's not, if you take the combined effort, it's relatively small. And I would like to see more in terms of creating um, real life applications with real users and then some of that uh, um, uh, real validation coming into the discussion. Yeah, it is, Pat Cassidy. The, the big problem with uh, different people creating applications using their own different ontologies is that when you're finished with that, it's very hard to tell uh, what you can learn from one of those if you're using a different um, methodology or different ontology or whatever. Uh, what's wrong with grand unification anyway? Sounds like a good idea to me. One, one thing I'd, I'd like to point out is, I mean, if you, like Nicolai summarized, I mean, and Nick and, and, and I guess IBM 
work was to take the pragmatic approach. And then the third F is almost at the other extreme where it's very theoretical. I'm just wondering if, for instance, and it's also focused more on the business process side of things. I'm wondering if another approach for adding semantics to business process would have been to just use people, which has a lot of applications and, and there are a lot of tools being built on it, not just IBM, by the way. And, and extending it similar to how uh, a NIST team did and adding semantics to that, so in, in other words, a default app. And I'm not necessarily saying that's the right approach, but it could maybe bridge the gap also and, and bring in actual problems that are being solved because there are people using people right now to solve real problems. So you add the semantics on and you all of a sudden can do more things. So you can actually do what the last speaker mentioned in terms of finding problems and also try to achieve more of a process specification and adding semantics to that. So I'm wondering, was that not considered or is that not an approach? Sorry, was that question addressed to, to me, John Demang, with the, um, with the super project or generically all the panelists? That also, I guess generically to the panel, but also maybe to Michael Groninger. So, but I wonder if he, did, did the group in Toronto consider doing something like this or was there a reason why they did not try to do that? Uh, this is Nicholas Rukada. I'd like to jump in there. I mean, I, I think that a lot of um, these different groups have already looked in, or, or, or looked into people, for example, to, to in the development of RLS and and, and Wismo and, and whatnot. So, I think those considerations were 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 taken into account. Where the the some of the issue come in is now taking say Wismo or RLS or say flows and now applying it to an existing uh, infrastructure that has some amount perhaps of, um, of, of services, service architecture or perhaps no service-oriented architecture but maybe more like kind of a workflow uh, type uh, architecture or perhaps even, uh, even more informal than that with uh, various kinds of, uh, uh, of scripts, make files and, and whatnot. It becomes a, a big issue, and here um, at, at JPL, one of the the, the, the things I've noticed uh, uh, seems to be perhaps missing in, uh, in 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 the way we can describe web services is that uh, there's this um, kind of like design by contract influence where we look at at the service in terms of preconditions, postconditions, or or in, you know resource requirements and things. But uh, there's very little that seems to be available in terms of of saying, um, except perhaps in, um, in if you jump into a very highly expressive ontology like flows, where you can talk about while this activity is happening, I want to make sure that the following is true, or uh, or or other consider or things like until um, we reach um, uh, this result or produce um, this thing. I want to make sure that none of the following may happen, or, or uh, some form of um, you know, stronger preservation. Like, uh, for example, uh, you want to make sure that, say, if you had, say, for example, like a, a secure um, web connection, that it's not broken, um, or that uh, the networking or infrastructure layer, or the various transport services will. Um, properly handle the connection to make sure that it's there to support um, all of the other application uh, services that uh, are 
or revolve around. And in that context, I think that uh, we'd have to expand the view of web services, not necessarily for uh, functional purposes like buying books and, and delivering books and things, but as well as for the infrastructure that we use underneath that to do all of that. Well, I understand, I understand that value. I'm not, you know, asking that you Can you speak up a little bit? Yes, I understand there is value. Maybe, maybe from a pragmatic point of view, what I'm trying to maybe raise is the fact that, you know, the semantic club has not caught on as much as we would all hope for. And I'm wondering if the services is not gonna is not gonna have the same you know problem because of the fact that we have complexity. So for instance, when it flows, I mean, I can see a lot of value, but at the end, you know, saying that there's a lot of I mean, one of the anticipated questions is that people are gonna have a hard time in the program to actually use this stuff. And yeah, well, you know, maybe maybe we should try to make it easy and 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 still somehow you know add the semantic aspect. So the, the with the last approach, you know, even though WISDO is not necessarily very easy, there's a lot of tools to help that. And it's, it's certainly easier because it allows you to use UML, which is a well-known and accepted way of doing models. So maybe that's what I'm trying to, to, to raise is the fact that it's the pragmatic is maybe the right approach to maybe get some traction there. I'll just that traction. Uh, this, is, this is David Martin. I, I, I agree. I, I just want to make the general point that I think all of us recognize the, the pragmatic uh, concerns that you're talking about. That's that's why, you know, each of these groups has made considerable efforts to show how their work can tie in with WSDL and UDDI. And uh, it's not a complete picture yet. Uh, it's, you know, like I said, it, seeing that happen is has a lot to do with, you know, politics and funding and so forth. Uh, but I, I will mention that um, there has been some work. Uh, there's, there's, been, there's, a, there's a number of threads of work that we could look at in this regard. There's uh, Sheila uh, has done some work to show how uh, LS how can be used to augment people. I think uh, we've had some, I don't think it was a publication, but there is some discussion about how people could be the axiomatized and uh, given an underlying semantics in terms of uh, flows and um, there's been certainly there's been some cross conversations between the flows group and the people working on people uh, at IBM and so forth I, I'm sure there are other things that I, that I failed to mention so I guess it's a matter of just bringing bringing these things together in, a, in the right place in the right time and and demonstrating the value added in a, in a compelling way, and we all we all recognize this. Um. Let me just add to that, just John Demine. Um, so this project I mentioned earlier, Super, which is looking at um, modeling uh, business processes. The scientific director of that project is Frank Lehman, who's now at the University of Stuttgart, and he was at IBM. is one of the was one of the core people behind Beeple. So, so um, I guess we're all um, thinking about this. Okay, good. Thank you. The, um, oh, I'll, I'll be quiet. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say, uh, there is some structure in place at W3C and uh, some discussion right now about starting some activities there. 
not necessarily a working group, but a less structured activity uh, to bring together, you know, web services users with real-world problems and semantic web services folks to, de to, to demonstrate value added of some of this technology in terms of the real-world problems that the big companies and little companies are, are dealing with uh, in deploying web services. So this is just in the discussion stage right now, but it, it's possible some kind of activity may be created there to do some of this at W3C. I think it, this is a cross-focality. I think it would be you know, useful indeed because one of the, the resistance, I, I, I think it, that, that at least I've seen um, you know, here at JPL is indeed what, what is it going to do for me? Uh, not just because it's perhaps a, a, I guess a practical way of doing something that we've done in other methods before, but because there's something that is just not available elsewhere, and the not available elsewhere, you know, for, at least uh, that I find unique, perhaps to the in the context of the semantic web um, area, it uh, comes from two things. One is uh, obviously the the kind of a stronger guarantee we can have about well, when we've orchestrated a bunch of services, it's going to work, and or it's going to have a, some kind of a guarantee or an assurance that there's going to be certain properties, and and the 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 other is, is kind of coming from the the kind of a matching end, which is uh, if, if I want to have certain assurances about you know I want to buy a book at Amazon and I want to make sure it's going to be there, you know, so I don't know. You know, three days from now, how do I um, essentially get some kind of uh, guarantee or, or a strong form of assurance that I can trust in the end all of these you know services that I don't even know about uh, out there and to make sure that I can count on the book and being there in three days when I've never perhaps dealt with those uh, services before, and and so it brings in a a, a kind of uh, an angle that uh, you know, is unique, in my opinion, to uh, in, in, to the semantic web that is not available in in Beeple, Withdoll, and, and other kind of service infrastructures. Right. I think I think your point about essentially the, the engagement aspect of using a service. So if you extend that to using, for instance, real-world IT services like IBM Global Services and how when we actually go to a company and we engage with them. So there's an exchange of different things that happen. There's a lot of, of, of communication that are outside of the specification for the service that you actually do. There's a following and so on. So it's, it's extending that to the web, which is what you're mentioning, which would be really interesting, but it's almost far-fetched. So maybe, um, I guess in some ways, it's good to have different approaches because one of, some of them may be trying to achieve that all the way, you know, uh, um, that, that kind of rich engagement, uh, um, but it's not going to happen soon. And then maybe the more pragmatic approach or at the other extreme, and then somehow filling in what, what's needed in between so that we can get to this vision of a of, of, of fully dynamic sort of service engagement and usage. Um, so I, I, I can see that. I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, if more pragmatic stuff is not necessary. But I, anyway, I'll, I'll let the panel, I guess, you know, jump in. Sorry, who was the last speaker? What was the name of the last speaker? This is Max Maximilian. Uh, oh, 